HVAC 360, episode number 62. HVAC Careers, Manufacturers Representatives. Hey, welcome back to another episode of HVAC 360. I'm your host, Matt Nelson. This week, we're going to be diving into the careers in HVAC. This is a a topic that was requested by one of the student listeners of the show. This time, we're going to focus on being a manufacturer's representative. Uh, And I have uh, lined up for us to talk with Rob Leneve, who is the Director of Engineering over at Air Control Products. Uh, he is uh, you know, uh, somebody that I know from ASHRAE and a really good guy uh, and very knowledgeable about this field. So we're going to get him on. But first, I'd like to, have a, uh, like to thank our sponsor, the Building Commissioning Association. Uh, you know, if you're involved in the building commissioning at all, this is obviously the one organization that you want to belong to. Um, it's a, a great networking and learning opportunity for a number of the things they put on. Uh, specifically, hey, you know, the, the National, Conve- National Conference on Building Commissioning, the NCBC, is actually going to happen in a, in a couple of months here, uh, coming up real quick, May 6th through the 8th. Uh, this is the 2013, so if you're kind of listening to it after the fact, uh, you might want to check your local schedules to see when the next one is. But this one, uh, if you're listening to it kind of in real time, uh, is in Denver, Colorado. Uh, they're, uh, they're having their 21st straight year uh, of doing this conference. And again, a great networking opportunity, a great place to learn a lot uh, about building commissioning. You know, a lot of conferences you can go to and maybe catch a, a course or two, or maybe if you get lucky, they have a track. But this is just chock full of people who really know everything they could possibly know about uh, about commissioning. Uh, even, you know, vendors who specifically target uh, commissioning. When you're t- talking about looking for software that, that may uh, save you time and money, uh, they're going to be there. Or if you're looking to, to team up with somebody in a different location, again, this is the place to be. Uh, happens every year this year, again, in Denver, in May 6th through the 8th. If you're looking for other opportunities, their spring web- webinar series is, uh, we're, we're in the middle of it. Uh, the next one that's coming up is going to be on May 15th, and the title is, Is Controls, Loop Tuning, and Night Setback Really Hard? Uh, I think that would be a great topic. Um, I'm looking into to, to registering for it. So uh, if you uh, have in- any interest in it, uh, you can check out, uh, or if you have interest in joining the BCA, which, uh, again, if you're a commissioning person, I think that that would be a, a highly valuable, valuable move. Just go to their website. Uh, it's bca or bcxa.org. That's bcxa.org for all that information and good stuff. Uh, you know, again, yeah, they have webinar series that uh, that continue to go on. I think there's one in in June as well. So look for updates there. I'll post it in the show notes uh, just for you to have some convenient links if you want to go and check out the website at Building X. So let's uh, let's cut to the tape with uh, Rob Leneve. All right, today we are going to be talking with Rob Leneve, Director of Engineering at Air Control Products. How you doing, Rob? 
Pretty well, Matt. Nice to uh, talk with you today. Yeah, excellent. Hey, you know, uh, I just want to, you know, we're talking today about, you know, careers in HVAC and and specifically manufacturers rep. Now, you know, I, I know you personally um, through ASHRAE, and I just wanted to kind of get a little bit more about, uh, you know, what's, what's your background and how you got into the industry? Well, sure. The um, I was studying, obviously, mechanical engineering and went into the co-op program. So I pursued an opportunity with Wickard Engineering a number of years ago as a co-op, and that came about from a kind of a reference of, from a family member and um, sort of really grew to like the you know, built environment, HVAC. So I did some co-op sessions at Wickard, went there full-time for a few years, and then um, decided to, to make a change, uh, went outside the industry for a while, and, but then came back. And it was just intriguing to me to get back into HVAC and as a rep representative. Um, so I, I came back kind of full circle, as I say. But I originally started as a co-op, as a mechanical engineer, and then now working as a representative. Now, do you have your, your uh, uh, oh, engineer's license? Is that Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, no, I do not have my professional engineer's okay. license. Uh, I just have my... Graduate degree and then my uh, EIT. Okay. Just curious. Now, uh, I, I guess is is that sort of background kind of typical for uh, you know people in your industry or uh, you know what what is you know as as being a manufacturer's rep? What's kind of like a, a pre qualification that that you'd see? I've seen all sorts of avenues. Some are registered engineers, as you just uh, referenced. Some are uh, graduates from engineering schools without PE licenses. Others are high school graduates. Others are college graduates. It just has to do with, uh, I guess, your level of interest in the industry. And within the industry, you have people that call on contractors and uh, to actually sell products as a salesperson. And then you have people like myself that call on engineers or architects or end users regarding the application of our products. So as long as somebody's uh, knowledgeable in the application, performance, and uh, background, uh, you know, behind a product, they could, uh, you know, do a good job. So it's not necessarily engineering degree required, but it's a great asset to have or help to have. Now, do you, do you find that you have to, you have to, you know, come to be, you know, a manufacturer's rep with a certain skill set, or is there some, you know, on-the-job training that, that takes place? I do feel I was at an advantage having an engineering background as a skill set. Within our built environment, you know, you're talking about the thermal sciences, so understanding thermodynamics, fluid mechanics, uh, that all plays heat transfer, all plays into what we do on a day-to-day basis. I've seen some people without a technical background maybe struggle a little more, have to spend a little more time not fully understanding, you know, what they're getting into. Uh, But... I think a technical background is definitely an asset, um, you know, but at the same point, if you have a, a willingness to learn and uh, aptitude for mechanical things, you could learn, you know, a good portion of what you need on a day-to-day basis as a representative. Um, the, the key is, you know, understanding the problem at hand, either from an engineer's perspective that's coming to you or from a contractor, understanding the right product, how to solve that problem, and then um, getting it done, so to speak, uh, where, you know, either you're going to 
take an order and, and make sure you get it to the contractor when he wants it or select the product right for the engineer that doesn't create a problem later on. Now, uh, obviously, you know, knowledge is one thing, but the, the ability to communicate, obviously, you talked about, you know, the interaction that takes place, you know, as a manufacturer's representative or a manufacturer's rep, as it's sometimes known as. Um, that's, that's kind of a key skill for, uh, for uh, you know, getting into the, uh, the field? Most definitely. Uh, in today's world of emails and even, you know, texts and you know, websites and webinars and all this sort of stuff, you have to have good written communications, but also orally, uh, you have to present something, a topic, a concept, idea, and a product to uh, the, your, your audience, whether it be during a lunch and learn or during a short presentation at an office somewhere with just one-on-one. So verbally, you need to be able to communicate your concept and idea, and then um, in a written form, be able to explain possibly through an email back to somebody of how something's going to operate or a control sequence. So definitely communications of um, verbal and written are very, very necessary. Now, as far as um, now, you know, being a manufacturer's rep, obviously you're working for, you know, some other company. Is, do you get trained on that? How, how does usually that, that, you know, come into play as far as, you know, getting that knowledge base? Most definitely, uh, training is, is offered by the manufacturer. Every manufacturer has their product and their expertise, and there's no way just by picking up a catalog or reading about it that you're going to fully understand what goes into it. So uh, many times when you come on board with the manufacturer, they will have you visit their facility, uh, maybe spend anywhere from two to uh, seven days in training, some of our British Bigger product lines uh, require a six-day training program. Others require, you know, two days you can you can pick up. But you're going to that manufacturer. You're learning how the product is made, how it's functioned, um, its applications, where it should be applied, basically, and where it shouldn't be applied, uh, its limitations and its capabilities. So definitely training comes from the manufacturer when you bring uh, as a new manufacturer comes on. Now, it, obviously, somebody listening to this, um, you know, thinking that, hey, you know what, that, that sounds good. You know, I have good communication skills. I understand, you know, technically. How do, how do they go about getting into the industry? I mean, most of the cases, I, you know, I don't know necessarily how, how, how you specifically found it. But, you know, what, what do people look for? Um, I guess what let me step back to maybe my experience was uh, there was a, current employee here at our company, our control products, that knew of me and, and said, hey, our company is looking to strengthen and to boost our engineering focus, and I know you uh, had your engineering degree, would you be interested in talking to us? So that was just an internal, I guess, reference that I call. And I said, sure, you know, let, let's go talk, see what it's about. Um, other than that, if you were focused as an engineer, say, or um, interested in applying products, you would look for a representative that had products that was of interest for you, whether it be air movement or fluid flow, you know, on pumps or cooling towers or whatever it be the case. Um, and then I would go to find that manufacturer that might be of interest to you. So if you pick one out and then see who their local representative is and then see how they go about promoting their product that they may be in need of somebody to enhance or boost their promotion with either contractors or engineers or 
architects or whoever, whatever the product is. So, you know, every manufacturer lists on their website who covers their, the territory. So you could find somebody like that. Uh, but, you know, you and I both know so much happens through networking, word of mouth, and references that at the same point you start asking the right people, somebody will say, hey, ABC company is looking for somebody, and you just kind of fall into it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know a lot of the excuse me, a lot of the bigger companies, you know, might advertise and things like that. But a, a lot of these, you know, representative firms, they're not they're not you know extremely large. I mean, I, I think that that yours might might be a little bit more of the uh, exception to the rule. But um, and I guess another thing to to consider is that uh, if you are looking for a specific industry, say you know air movement or you know products like that, you know typically there's going to be you know three to four competing manufacturers, and each one of those is going to be serviced by a different uh, uh, manufacturer's representative firm. Yes, that's correct. So um, you know you you pick the Google search, you're going to get you know those pages are going to come up with different manufacturers. And you're right, each territory, each manufacturer has a unique person or a firm in an area uh, that represents them. And you're also correct in the size. We're about 40-some-odd people. Um, some firms are three people. Uh, we work out of a building here in Broadview Heights. Some people work out of a small office suite, um, you know, with just three or four of them. And Sometimes we inventory product in a warehouse. Other reps do not inventory product. So there is a wide range of, I guess, uh, business models among the representatives. Mm-hmm. So now, I guess, what, let's, go, let's go to the, uh, um, the relationship between manufacturers, reps, and the manufacturers themselves. You know, I, I guess uh, kind of explain to people why, why it's even necessary that manufacturers – um, you know, should should use a, a representative network? That's an interesting question, uh, Matt, because when I first came back on board, I've been here at Air Control about 12 years, and I asked, you know, is the rep industry even valid anymore? Is it a valid business model, or is it kind of being phased out? And and it was became evident that not, a, not at all, and that the representative is very strong today, because um, many manufacturers are reducing their staff and in, in terms of territory coverage. So if you look at a manufacturer located in, um, you know, pick a state, Wisconsin, and you say, okay, how are they going to get people into every city across the country? They're either going to have to get a big sales staff and maintain that and manage that, or they're going to go get representatives to handle a territory. And Manufacturers need representatives to manage that territory. So they look to representatives, the signing of a rep firm up, to promote and sell their product in a territory. Now, for us in Ohio, it's usually divided like by zip code or by county. So there's no way that manufacturer could cover all Ohio counties or northeast Ohio or whatever you want, area you want to pick from a remote location effectively. So we're kind of the, what you call the feet on the street for that manufacturer in the area. So we're under contract with the manufacturer to be their exclusive representative. And most manufacturers will pursue it that way as far as having an exclusive contract. And uh, we're responsible for the promotion, sales, and application of, of that product in that territory. And that's what they look to us to do. And 
obviously they have a certain uh, goals for sales that they say, you know, you ought to sell X dollars in this area, and, and they do want you to achieve that. Now, I mean, obviously there there are different exceptions where manufacturers might be, you know, they might try to have local, uh, regional sales offices that cover, you know, certain areas, correct? Correct, yes. Some manuf- so larger manufacturers also have a regional group. And this is, you know, I'm kind of give you a, an over large overview perspective, but each area is then managed by like a regional manager. So he might have three states or 12 states or some of the regionals, they cover, you know, like east of the Mississippi and west of the Mississippi, so they can get pretty large territories. And then the Canada and Mexico and, you know, our manufacturers are international also, so they have other territories. But um, it you, you, you do still manage sort of on a local level, and then you kind of work your way back up from local to region to maybe, uh, you know, district or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I guess you, you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, sales targets. Is that spe- is that generally how most of these, you know, these contracts, once they find, you know, uh, do they, I mean, I guess, do they even interview different rep firms and say, you know, have uh, two or three compete and say, you know, who can, you know, big, bring me the biggest sales numbers? Uh, you know, is, is that how it goes or is it just kind of, you know, whoever they think is a best fit, they work with them and, you know, here's the sales numbers that we have just for about everybody. Correct. Like if a manufacturer, let's take a manufacturer that wants to go into near new territory, and they say, you know, Cleveland, Ohio is, you know, we got to get into Cleveland. So they'll do their homework and through their network and through the internet searches and whatnot, or they'll call fellow manufacturers and say, hey, I want to take my stuff into Cleveland, and um, who who do you guys have up there? And they'll get a list of names, you know, three or four names, and or, you know, more, and and generally that manufacturer will arrange appointments with those different agencies, say existing manufacturer reps, and said, hey, I'm looking to come into Cleveland, and um, this is my product, and uh, I I think I can sell, you know, 100000 or a million dollars, whatever the number is. How how would you guys go about it? So they'll interview you and to see what your capabilities are, and then they'll do the same thing the next firm and the next firm, and, and then they'll make a decision about who they feel most comfortable with, who is open to partnering with them, who they think they're going to get the most response from. At the end of the day, they need to sell their product, mm-hmm. and they want to choose a firm that they feel is going to get, get them the most sales. But um, at the same point, you have to be easy to do business with. So I, I think – if they're like, boy, I could get you know a million out of them, but uh, that's going to be hard because I just don't see how their system is. But I could get you know nine hundred thousand, and these guys be easy to do business with. They might sacrifice that hundred thousand or something to be just for lack of headaches or something, you know. But for the most part, they just want a good partner uh, relationship that you know can can bring them the sales that they're looking for. Right, because I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, they. They rely on the manufacturers' reps to to be the uh, you know, marketing face of their company. So I can I can see where they they might you know not necessarily go with the with the low bidder every time. Correct. Yep, that's right. Yeah, they you know at, you hear a lot about plans and everything and, and businesses and stuff, but you know somebody made the point too that at the end of the day, you know people do business with people, and you have to have handshakes and work well together and. And, uh, you know, it's about a relationship or, like I say, a partnership. 
So, I mean, is, is, is the, the contract generally for a period of time? Is it just, you know, it reviewed annually? What, what sort of kind of guarantee do you have as a, as a rep that uh, you, can, you can hold on to a, a line for a specific amount of time? Uh, you, you mentioned interesting word or used interesting word guarantee. There is no guarantee. Uh, you're subject to cancellation at any point. Uh, unfortunately, it's kind of how the industry works. Again, going back to that partnership type of thing, people are not going to, you know, if you have a good relationship, they're not going to call you up on Tuesday and say, oh, you're canceled. They're going to say, hey, you know, she guys have been falling off a little bit. Um, what can we do to, to get you back on track? And they're going to work with you, and they, they want to see you succeed because it's in their interest also. But uh, some contracts are 30 days, you know, and then it's renewed automatically until further notice. But it's not like you're signing, uh, you know, contracts every 30 days with everyone. It's just kind of an understood or there's a clause that says, you know, uh, we'll honor your orders and stuff for 30-day periods, you know, and if at any point we would, you know, cancel you on June 18th, you know, you, you, we would honor everything you ordered up through that point and, and stuff like that. So there's kind of 30-day agreements. Uh, some agreements are a little more loosey-goosey, and, um, but for the most part, there's always something that says what you're going to do, what they expect, what you expect of them that you sign as a mutual agreement between each other. Right. And, you know, and I, I guess it's, it's regardless of how good a salesman you are, if you're, if you're a rep or a rep, rep firm, um, you're going to have multiple rep lines. So to be able to focus on anyone in particular, obviously, you, you know, today you're like, you're my most important uh, manufacturer that I'm representing. And then you turn around and you're like, oh, okay, no, today you're my favorite you know, manufacturer. So there's there's that uh, consideration where you 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 may not necessarily be uh, servicing them to their their full potential or what they expect. Right, and and that's the thing they'll look at also as a manufacturer. They'll say, well, this rep agency has two lines or fifty lines. How much time will they be able to devote to me, and how much time do I need them to devote to me? And uh, as long as you you know, every day we talk about you know getting up and, and, and looking across and say, what can I do today for this manufacturer, that manufacturer, that we have an obligation, or as a representative, you have an obligation to each manufacturer. And somehow you got to carve out or niche out a time for, to support each one and to promote and, and to remember each one. And uh, if you don't, it'll come to light pretty quickly. And that's when sometimes the manufacturer will make a change and say, you know, we just we need somebody that's going to be a little more focused or, and, they'll, and they'll change and um, – you know, find maybe a better fit. Mm -hmm. But you try to get that up front. You never want to take somebody on as a representative and, and not support them properly. Right. Now, and, and two, typically what you'd end up doing is you'd end up uh, with rep firms that, uh, you know, have complementary and not necessarily, you know, you'd rarely, I think, if any, if, if at all, see, you know, uh, uh, direct competition between the lines that they represent. I think that they want to make sure that that, you know, they they fit all and they've, you know, they're not going to, you know, have, you know, an air handling unit manufacturer is not necessarily going to go with a, uh, a a rep firm that's, you know, just does hydronics and things like that. So you'd, you'd have Correct. this sort of like a, a, a complete suite of offerings. Yes. Mm -hmm. The, um, Right now, we're, we're predominantly focused, what we call, on the air side of the business. Other firms focus on the wet side of the business. In other territories where we get together with a sales meeting, we'll have agencies that 
have both a wet and an air side. And they've been able to manage that, and people, uh, manufacturers have embraced them to do both, and it has, you know, worked out for them. Um, so it just kind of depends. But you, you de you're right in the saying that you don't um, normally have, like, two major products that are competitors under one agency. Mm-hmm. Now, as as far as the uh, the boundaries go, I know that typically, you know, you're not you're not you know you're not giving the whole United States, or you know, you're not giving the whole <laughs> right. whole area. What how how do they determine that those boundaries that that uh, you work within? Generally, uh, we've found that in Ohio here, it's divided by uh, county or zip codes. Uh, some people will use area codes, but sometimes area, years ago, area codes have kind of been so divided you're into these you know different uh, territories so most have gone by counties so like if you look at ohio you might look at uh, you know outside of columbus a little bit and then like all north of columbus and then you have like toledo and and south and then maybe around columbus and then maybe some areas down in dayton and in cincinnati and, you know, it has to be within what I call, like, reasonable travel distance. It would be difficult for me, say, from Cleveland, to support somebody in Dayton four hours away. So the manufacturer says, yeah, I don't know, Columbus is right in the middle. Why don't we kind of, you know, maybe we should have a rep in Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati or Dayton, and uh, and then divide up the territories like that. So generally, if, you, you know, we have an office ourselves down in Columbus also and over in Toledo, so with staffed people. So if an agency has multiple offices, then they'll give them the line in multiple territories. But generally by county is a good divide, is a good division of territories. All right. Excellent. So now getting back, getting back to that office kind of mentality, I guess, you know, obviously it, it all depends on size, but, you know, there are different kind of functions um, that, you know, reps will have. And like you mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, there are some, you know, uh, people who focus on engineers, people who focus on contractors. Um, can you really explain a little bit more about, um, a little bit about that? Sure. Um, within a rep agency, you, you, you kind of look at the whole process and, um, you know, building is designed and laid out, say, by an engineer and an architect. Well, they're going to need help, so you need somebody to support them. Then that is going to come out to bid, and you're going to try to build that building, so you're going to need a contractor, and somebody needs to help them and support them. So you have this two kind of what we call outside people responsibilities that need to go outside the office, need to go out and visit contractors, visit engineers, visit architects, visit end users, whatever that uh, entity out there is that needs help outside the four walls that you know you call your office, and then uh, once you say secure an order from a contractor, you get something specified by an engineer. You got to have something to generate either like the purchase order, the sales, or send the order to the factory, and that. So you have to bring that back in house. So usually you have a staff or people uh, that are going to help process an order, make sure you get the submittal made. Um, submit the shop drawing back through the appropriate channels, things of that nature. So you have this outside group, and you have this inside group we call inside support. You also have people that call in and say, hey, yeah, I get this question about this particular product. So the inside support needs to field those phone calls. And then obviously you have an accounting department to process all your paperwork and orders and, 
And uh, again, some of that grows as you grow. If you're a rep agency of one, you're going to do all that. You're going to go outside, you're going to come inside, and you're going to send the bills out and collect the money. Yeah. Well, as you get bigger, you can't continue to do all that, so maybe you get an assistant and then another, and then you continue to grow from there. Uh, so you have outside sales, inside sales, and support, and then uh, any kind of administrative support. Okay. Now, I guess uh, when we talk about, uh, you know, success as a manufacturer's rep, yeah, what what are some some tools that you think that you know every rep every rep should have? Um, like tools for success, I guess we could call those. One, I think you have to be understanding um, in the fact that somebody's bringing a problem to you that they need fixed. You know, and I say problem, it's not like, um, and maybe the puzzle is a better word. It's not necessarily oh, I got this problem. They just need help or assistance. So you first you have to have a willingness to understand. And then you have to have the uh, obviously the cognitive ability, or you know, the, to be able to get the work done and, and to know which product applies. And then everything moves so fast today that you got to be able to get it done when they need it. And uh, if, if a person calls you, most likely they need something back within, you know. It's sometimes hours, minutes, and maybe a day or two, but nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, get that to me next week. You know, it, it's like people are just pressed more and more to do things faster and quicker that you got to have a kind of a sense of urgency to get it done. Um, and then, you know, you got to have good personal, personable skills or, you know, you're talking to people on the phone, you're hands, giving handshakes to people. They, they want to see a smiling face. They don't, you know, you got to have good disposition, um, Nobody wants to talk to Mr. Grump, Mr. and Mrs. Grumpy. You know, you yeah. <laughs> you got to uh, got to do that. So I think uh, understanding, appreciation for the, the task at hand, sense of urgency to get it done, and then uh, just a good attitude, good disposition. Excellent. Now, I mean, as far as you know, obviously, I, I, engineers and contractors are the kind of the two groups that um, you know, generally speaking, that you're going to be dealing with. Um, Let's focus on engineers first. What are, what are some of the specific needs that that you find engineers? I mean, obviously, you talked about problem solving and being able to. They have a uh, a, a situation, a design uh, constraint that they want a solution to. Uh, you know, is is that uh, what other things do they do they need? Um, it, it, you're right in the fact that it kind of varies. Sometimes, you know, an engineer has already done his, like, heating, cooling, load calculation. He needs uh, 12,000 BTUs of cooling, okay, and he needs to do that with a chilled water coil. Okay, so you're going to pick a coil, and, and that's kind of done and over with. So he already knows or she already has come to you with, this is what I need. Give me the product that does it. Uh, and that's one, one thing that's usually pretty straightforward and, and not a big deal. Other times they might say, well, I have this building, and I know i got to heat and cool it, but I'm not sure exactly how to go about it. What, what, what are some ideas? What's some new technologies? What, Rob, what do you think we could do with this type of building? Now, that's when you get to put on, like, your thinking cap, as they say, and say, okay, look, uh, maybe it's a, a hydronic system. Maybe it's an air system. Um, maybe it involves energy recovery. Maybe we have a... Uh, some other system, you know, escapes me right now. But in that aspect, they either come to you with uh, this is what I need and you pick the product or the, the kind of the drawing is open and we have to decide on how to go about it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
The other times, maybe they have a specific problem at hand that maybe it's an odor problem or an airflow problem, and they're like, I just don't know what's going on here. What, what do you think could be the problem? So now it's in the troubleshooting where you're like, okay, do we want to check uh, fan rotation? Do we want to check pressurization of the building? How do we, you know, we kind of troubleshoot of finding that uh, kind of what I call the red X, you know, what's creating that issue? Um, so I would say we either have a defined criteria, pick me something that fits this. Hey, what can you help me with here? I'm not sure where to go to Hey, look, we got a problem of something that's already out there. How do we now? What do we do with it? Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a good point. You know, not, not it's not always just hey, it, you know, I need I need something to put in my you know new design. It it may be hey, you know what? I've used your product and I'm not there's something not quite right, and it may not necessarily be your product. But can you help me? You know, figure out exactly what it was, or if there was something that wasn't uh, installed properly about it, and things like that. Correctly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Many times, uh, it's just it's just that you know, and they're like, "Oh, I didn't know I needed to do that," or or that type of thing. Uh, where we've had installations where, um, you know, they they maybe forgot a piece or part or component, be like, "Oh, shoot, okay, I see what we got to do now," and then they fix it, and then next time moving forward, we know that uh, we need to specify it more clearly or install it in a better fashion or whatever it be the case. Now, as as far as kind of, I'll, I'll, I'll throw two generalities out there for you, and this is maybe focused on uh, younger engineers. Um, being, you know, relying on manufacturers reps too much, you know, mm-hmm. is, there, is there is there some you know some danger there that you think that you know obviously there's some you know personal responsibility that engineers have to have, but do you do you see some you know engineers you know, just kind of, uh, you know, not necessarily questioning or getting in, a, in the right conversation, maybe more appropriate um, with you in regards to certain things. Correct. I, I would agree with you. There's um, sometimes I think a young engineer has been tasked with a job or, you know, and, and says, okay, we need to get this done. And if they're not quite sure, they'll send it off to representative and say, hey, I need this, this, and that. And we send it back to them, and, and I guess I take a conscious effort in making sure that I'm providing them with what's correct. But sometimes I feel uh, that they're not always understanding what I'm sending to them or the maybe why the choice I made. Where as that engineer grows and you get to maybe somebody a little more experienced, they'll come back and say, hey, I need this, but I want you to watch uh, a noise level, uh, a weight, a position, a condition of something where – they're a little more seasoned and they know to what to, what they don't want to happen, so to speak. Um, you know, they want a certain fan RPM or they want a certain arrangement. Where I think a young engineer, if they're not ex- experienced, I could send them a fan mounted on the roof. Or I could send them a fan that's mounted in line, and they'd be like, oh, okay, great. But really, only one of them is going to work for the application that they have. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I feel I have to ask the right questions to say, oh, where's this fan going to be mounted at? Because I'll get a vague inquiry, hey, I need a 4,000 CFM fan. Okay, we got lots of choices. I have about 27, you know, <laughs> which one would you like? So I think um, an engineer, a young engineer needs to understand his application and uh, what he's looking for and 
and I had an older engineer tell me once that he felt uh, some of the staff was relying too heavily on the on the representative for everything and not really understanding what was coming back to them. Mm-hmm. And he was stressing to his staff, I want you to, you know, embrace a representative because he's your ally and, and resource, but at the same point, know what you're getting back that, or have an idea what should be coming back that this fan should be about two horsepower and it should be about this and you would, you know, have an, a general idea. Mm-hmm. Now, on on the opposite side, you're dealing with contractors. Um, mm-hmm. What what sort of specific needs are, are the contractors looking at for a manufacturer's reps? Okay, uh, a contractor, you know, it's going to go to multiple reps or one or two or three or whatever to get a price on a project. So the new school comes out and he says to three or four of his reps, he says, "Okay, I need a price on all those air distribution, all those pumps, all those fans, whatever it be." And so he needs to have a good, because he's in competition with other contractors, right? So mm-hmm. we may be bidding our products to multiple contractors. So the contractor needs to know that, one, you have a good firm price. Two, that, you know, you have your good quantities and counts that there are 12 fans and you didn't quote them six or 24. Um, and he needs to know that you can deliver on what you say in the fact that he needs these product he needs these products eight weeks from now or 12 weeks from now or one week from now, he can can I give this order to that salesperson that, one, he's picked them correctly, the equipment is going to perform the way the engineer wants it, and, two, it's going to be here when I need it or when the crane is sitting outside the building or when my guys are there to install it. Is it going to be here or is it going to be a delivery So issue? So the contractor wants a good firm price to know your pricing is good and he wants good delivery and he wants your knowledge, too, and the fact that, does this person know what they're doing? Do they know that they picked the right fan and the, you know that they took it off the drawing correctly? They can't afford mistakes or the right voltage was ordered. You know, if you get a whole series of equipment and they're all the wrong voltage or something, you'd be like, well, now what do I do? You know, so now he's, this delays the process. So the contractor, he wants you know good pricing, good counts, and good delivery. And then um, good support. You know, he he does does want a piece of paper with a number on it. He wants to know who he's dealing with. So he wants to see you, and um, he wants you to be there to to see him. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the really the the submittal is an interesting interesting interaction between you know the engineer, the contractor, and the manufacturer's rep. Um, in essence, you know, the engineer, you know, if you're the basis design there really shouldn't be too much difference between what you what you know submitted by the contractor to the engineer um all those numbers should pretty much match up um sure. even though that it may be one sales engineer you know selling it you know or kind of uh, representing it to the engineer and another um a different salesman representing it to the contractor correct Correct, right. Yeah. The one thing that, you know, in this, again, in electronic files and stuff, when we make a selection for an engineer, we're able to share that file with the salesman who's actually bidding that product to the contractor. So, you know, if we made it uh, with a corrosion-resistant coating, a five-horsepower motor and mounted on the roof, all that information is going to be in the file that goes to the salesman that says, Mr. Contractor, here's the uh, product as it was specif- or, uh, provided to the engineer, specified in the drawing, and is consistent with everything you see there. Uh, when you're not basis of design, then you're under obligation to match 
what was on those drawings. So now it is a little more, uh, you know, reliance upon that salesperson to say, okay, did he match this up properly? And then the engineer, you know, he specifies the manufacturer A, but he gets a submittal from manufacturer B. Now he's got a little more work to try to compare the two to make sure everything is consistent. Mm -hmm. But we do try to share any work that I do, say, up front with an engineer, with the sales staff. And that's where, you know, your, again, interpersonal skills, not only outside the office, but within the office, need to be uh, refined and, and um, say, adequate or, you know, uh, uh, just, you know, evident that, hey, you can communicate to a, to a coworker. This right. is what we ordered or this is what we specified. This is what you need to order. And this is what the engineer wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I, I guess from from my experience, some things that I've seen occur um, would be, you know, the fact that it might be, yeah, you might get a a number of fan selections. You put it into your you know selection program, um, being not necessarily the base of the design, but somebody is going to be an or equal. Um, and you might say, hey, you know what, you ordered a. a um, you know, a, a two horsepower, but we can get uh, a one and a half horsepower fan uh, with a little bit different configuration. It's going to save some money, at least for the contractor. And they might try to, you know, get that approved, you know, by the, by the engineer. Right. Right. Um, and that's, a, I guess, you know, on what we call bid day, when, when the, uh, when the, you know, you're issuing a price to do something, that's a, a, a risk or a liability that someone may be weighing. They'll say, okay, I wonder if I could get by with this, and I wonder if the engineer is going to approve it. And in my mind, that's kind of a risk that maybe shouldn't be taken in the fact that the engineer knows what he wants, uh, and he or she, and, and um, that, you know, if there's a cost savings that, Obviously, we want to build better buildings and, and conserve energy. Then, you know, present that as a maybe as an alternate or say, here's another way. But here's what you ask for. But here is what um, is another option. Maybe maybe you weren't based on design. The engineer wasn't aware of some new technology or different way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but out of respect for the drawings, for the engineer that, that went into that, I do feel you always should – quote and provide what was specified and not to say that's going to be at the end of the day but say hey you know we're going to do this but i'd like to also come talk to you about a a, a viable option and and you try to get that worked out too but um i do like to see compliance with the documents as they exist to start out with right so now i I guess any uh, any you've given a couple examples of, of, of situations, but any other examples that you, that you've uh, of problems solutions that you've found out in the field? Um, you know, sometimes the simplest things you think, well, how in the world can that go wrong? And and it does, you know, whether it be like a you know simple electric duct heater, well. There are uh, uh, airflow sensors on those. You know, you can't always just turn those upside down because there's a little air diaphragm in there that could malfunction. Uh, there are times when somebody's, oh, we're about short of airflow, maybe 30%. Well, sometimes when you run a fan backwards, you only get about 70%. So somebody calls and tells me, yeah, you're about 30% short. I'd say you check the rotation of the fan. Oh, and, you know, with 
Sometimes you can reverse uh, electrical leads and the fan will spin backwards. Or if there's a certain pressure condition, the wheel of a fan starts moving backwards and then the motor starts, it could continue to move backwards. So you think, well, how can that go wrong? And it does. Um, sometimes, um, let's see, fan wheels, let's see what else has been out there that uh, could go wrong like that. Um, Sometimes inlet conditions, outlet conditions, people, oh, we'll just jam it in there. Well, understand that the performance data that is developed by AMCA and certified by, you know, for a manufacturer is kind of under ideal conditions and with certain inlet and outlet straight duct lengths. And if you try to jam it all together, you've got to kind of realize that you're going to have a reduction in performance and it's just not magically going to correct itself. Um, sometimes... Uh, static pressures through a duct system are either underestimated or overestimated. And when you pick a fan, you ought to be able to pick a fan to give you a little bit of allowance because there are going to be kind of what we call means and methods of construction that change things in the field versus really what's exactly on the drawings. So, you know, don't pick a fan right at the edge of its performance, either at the top or bottom. Try to get one in the middle third of the area and, uh, you know, keep that in mind. Um, let's see what else has been, uh, we've had some other technologies that rely upon, um, the construction of the, like of the plenum, whether it be in a, in a raised floor or above the floor that the means of construction on the general contractor side can impact the HVAC arena heavily. If you have a bunch of leaks around the building or you have air infiltrating through open cracks and stuff, and you're like, well, I can't get the heat out of this unit that I wanted. Well, it's not so much the unit that's not producing the heat. It's the fact that you have 20% or 30% more heating load because you got this crack in the wall that is no function of, you know, maybe the building shifted or moved or somebody forgot a block or who, it could be anything. But it's not always equipment, per se. Um, at times, it's you know, uh, a combination of things. Right. It's probably the, you know, the method of, or the, um, you know, the construction or, you know, some other factors that, that, that come into play. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, somebody forgets something in a duct and gets hung up on a damper, or, you know, you got the excess pressure drop because uh, there's a piece of plastic that's <laughs> caught on yeah. a damper downstream. <laughs> it gets sucked in somewhere. Uh, you know, uh, people have, if uh, just weird things have happened. Right. Yeah. And I, I know that a lot of times, you know, you, you, you as a manufacturer's rep actually, you know, become, um, you know, kind of, you know, the, 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 um, uh, the bad Tartan. guy. Yeah. <laughs> in the situation yeah. where you're like, Hey, your, your piece of equipment isn't performing well. And it's up to you to kind of solve that and say, Hey, well, no, it's not my equipment. It's that's fine. But you know, here's some problem with, you know, the way the piping's laid out, you know, it's short cycling or, you know, just different things mm-hmm. like that, that, that you might get mm-hmm. involved in. Right. Uh, we've had some, you know, like on a VAV box where, um, it, it was noisy. Well, well, part of that was because the system pressure got too high. You don't need that high pressure that you had. You need to ramp that fan back down or air spilling out of a fan-powered box. It's like, wait, you got way too much air going in there. And, and uh, some, so it's just that, that troubleshooting that I mentioned earlier comes into play where you're just trying to help people uh, fix the problem. Exactly. 
So, I mean, I guess, you know, you're, 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 uh, uh, you know, if you're a manufacturer's rep, um, you know, looking at, at as a, as a career, you know, what are some of the opportunities for, for adva- advancement? You know, are there paths to ownership? What different, you know, mm-hmm. different opportunities do you have? Um, it kind of depends on, on where you start out at within the organization and then how big the organization is. If you were, um, let's just say you started out in a, in a organization of six, eight, ten people or something like that. There's different sizes of engineers, different sizes of the contractors. So you might be given a small account, per se, to start with to get your feet wet. But over time, as you want to advance and you get really good at getting everything and, you, and, and you know, giving good quotes and counts and servicing and, and doing everything you need to, you might be given the opportunity to give a bigger account and ultimately, you know, get somebody who's a real major player and they're doing big projects in, in town and, and you're like, this is cool. You know, you're, you're not doing the little one or two office uh, office fit out or remodel somewhere you're doing a 12-story building and and that's fun so you could advance in terms of scope of work and responsibilities you could advance in terms of ownership uh, depending on the firm going into it who owns the firm and, and what their uh, transition or succession plan is and the fact that um, sometimes people will partner and you'll get two or three partners that as a rep firm and then over time, one of them will want to leave, so then somebody could take their place, and then you get to maybe make a little more decisions about what manufacturers you're going to take on and in what territories or if you're going to have a second office in another city or that type of thing. So there's advancement in terms of accounts where you get more responsibility, kind of doing your same role, but maybe just bigger and bigger. And then there's uh, maybe the management side of advancing into ownership, if, if that be the case. Uh, some people have chosen to learn the rep business under a certain group of manufacturers and then have chosen to leave to go on their own to maybe a different group of manufacturers. And so they start a whole uh, business themselves. So maybe they were, you know, representing uh, fans and now they say, no, I want to get to representing pumps. So now they'll go start a pump company. And um, many firms, I think if you look around Cleveland, uh, people grew out of one firm or another. You know, you could kind of trace it back, and they branched out, and they branched out, and as uh, as as the need arose, so you could go into being your own business owner out of just starting out one day as an entry level salesperson or uh, engineer calling on engineers. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to look at the. Uh, I guess you could almost the, the genealogy of of some of the firms that, uh, yeah, whether it be mm-hmm. rep firms or engineers or contractors that all sort of you know intermingle in a uh, in a particular region right yeah definitely um and it's within our industry it is really pretty small i mean we all kind of know each other uh one way or the other and be like hey wait a minute you were over there yeah i went jumped over here and people switch around uh, in the engineering community in the rep industry in the main in the contractor industry uh so there's there's opportunities for it. you know you, for those that want to you know kind of say be aggressive in the forward thinking and um, focused there's opportunities for growth definitely. Mm-hmm. So what I guess what are you what are some of the things that you enjoy about being a rep? I enjoy the variety. I really do. Uh, you know I look at the variety of our products and I look at the variety of uh, challenges that are presented to me from the engineers or contractors or end users. 
it it really is every day is a little different uh you kind of never know when that phone rings what's going to be on the other end either a new job or an existing job or uh something else i've had the opportunity to to travel to some places that i wouldn't have otherwise just because of our representing so many different manufacturers and um you think well i would never have gone there um, if I hadn't represented them or whatever, and you meet great people, um, you know, I think uh, an opportunity to develop some good relationships, great relationships with some good people is always a, a good thing. Um, I've, um, you know, we're strongly supported our industry from our ASHRAE group, and I'm, as you know, heavily involved with the ASHRAE as you are. You've done a lot for the national or society also, but. Um, you know, that gives you another avenue to meet people and to exchange ideas and stuff. So you have this kind of your core business area, and then you have this other industry group that you're meeting locally here once a month. You, you see your, your friends and have dinner with them, and then um, on a bigger scope, on a, you know, ASHRAE society level, a couple times a year you're getting together with a committee or a group. So it's a, I like the variety and the, uh, and the, the friendships. So if you had anything to tell the uh, the engineers or the contractors out there about reps, uh, you know, <laughs> what is, is there is there any advice that you'd give them to kind of, you know, I, I don't know, either, you know, be uh, kind of make the relationship better, I guess. Um let's see. I you know, there was a um a few years back a coined a phrase and that I presented to all my to the engineers when I talked to them, but uh it's called the four for one. And if you look at the construction process, uh ultimately you have this owner that wants a building. And um what you have is a design team, a, a contractor, a representative and a manufacturer. Those four entities all need to be working together as a team ultimately for that owner to build the building that they want. And if I told an engineer or a contractor anything, is remember that a representative is part of that team in the fact that we all need to work together in, in what is desired. And we're here to help the cause, and we, you know, we're not, um, uh, you know, to... We're not on our own or just giving you a number. It's, okay, here it is. It's $1,000. Good luck. You know, I mean, we're here to support you and to help you and to work together and to partner and to, to uh, provide you a solution that um, is beneficial to the team or to the whole process. And, you know, use us as an ally and, and work together. And, and um, you know, together I think we can do better things, build better buildings. Excellent. Um, any other final thoughts that you'd have? Um, no, I, I appreciate the opportunity, Matt, to talk with you and, and to uh, maybe offer some insight. Obviously, everyone's got their own take on it, and nothing I said today is, is, is gospel or, you know, kind of the, the end all or the only way. Uh, but overall, you know, the, the industry does allow you to uh, meet great people, help solve problems, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. Excellent. Well, Rob? It's been a pleasure, as always, and uh, thanks for being on. You're welcome, Matt. Thank you, and uh, wish you best of luck. If I can ever do anything for you, let me know. 
All right. Thanks again to Rob Lanie for taking the time out and uh, uh, talking with us about being a manufacturer's representative. A lot of good information there. I hope you get something out of it. Uh, if you did, uh, go ahead and uh, share it with somebody. Uh, I really appreciate you listening. You are the elite in the category of HVAC, always looking for opportunities to learn and educate yourself. And that's exactly what we need in the field. So uh, I want to thank you, encourage you uh, to keep it up and keep it going. So uh, if you did like it, why don't you pass it on? You can uh, do that for me. I'd really appreciate it. And hey, you know, uh, again, with the uh, our sponsor, the Building Commissioning Association, I really appreciate the sponsorship that makes, you know, putting on this uh, this website or this uh, uh, podcast, um, you know, a lot easier. Um, you know, I do it out of pocket, and it's uh, really great to have support from an association like the Building Commissioning Association. So, you know, if if nothing else, I would really appreciate you giving them a thank you uh, for supporting the show. Uh, and uh, you you can you know that's that's my that's my one uh, uh, one request for this episode if you could uh you just uh thank them and you can do it through the show if you want i can pass on the information uh if you want if any have any suggestions comments uh you can always get a hold of me at matt at buildingx.co uh or uh kind of follow me on twitter at buildingx or on linkedin so uh matt nelson pe well that's pretty much all wrapping it up for this week i appreciate you um and uh uh as always remember know what you build and share what you know